hopefully we're not going to be put to the point where we have to decide between death and our faith. We're blessed that way where we live in the United States in Burlington, Iowa. And sometimes the big surprise is that we meet opposition where we don't expect it. We meet it from our friends, from our relatives, from our family members. Do we speak from the height of our pride and will or out of the depths of a humble and contrite heart? He who humbles himself will be exalted, so humility is the foundation of prayer. But if your heart is right, you want what God wants, and your heart is open to whatever the will of God is for you. According to the scripture, it is the heart that prays. If our heart is far from God, the words of prayer are in vain. Sometimes we only bring the good things to God or what we need. God wants all of us, every bit of us. God wants my frustrations. God wants my anger. God wants my joy, my laugh, whatever. And finally, after a week or two of this, the pastor went up to him and said, what, what do you do when you're in there? And he says, I pray. And the pastor said, how do you pray? And he said, I look at God and he looks at me. And that's the essence of the prime kind of prayer we're talking about. Here's your host. Good evening and welcome. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. The church is in the 32nd week of Ordinary Time and the posse will be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. After we finish our discussion of Luke's Gospel, we will talk about prayer life or prayer in your life. What is it? How do you do it? Why does it matter? I'd like to uh, start off and welcome all the priests around the table tonight. We have a, a full table tonight. Father James, welcome. Hello, everyone. Father Mike. Good evening. Father Marty. Hey there. And Father Dennis. Hi, everyone. It's good to have everybody back around the table again. Father James, welcome back. You were uh, you were on vacation last week. I was. I was playing some mini golf. Mini golf. Mm-hmm. That was back in Colfax. Well, mini golf was in Altoona, where one of my brothers was. Oh, okay. But I kicked it in the metropolis of Colfax. <laughs> it's pretty large. Did they oh, kick it back? all the way through, too, didn't what? it? went all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> the best part with the Metropolis is there's not even a stoplight, unless the train comes and the red lights flash. <laughs> True. That's my kind of town. All right. Well, welcome back. Thank we, you. we missed you last week. Yes, we did. Uh, Father Marty, uh, how about an update on the Upon This Rock campaign? Well, we um, got our first report last week. Um, we're at about um, 300,000, right around there. Um, so we'll get a new report coming up. Uh, I know the person who does that is on vacation uh, today and tomorrow, so it might be a little bit. So we have to postpone it in the bulletin for another week. But um, we're off to a good start, and we're um, just praying that all goes well. All right. Very good. Mm-hmm. Father Marty or uh, any of the priests, do we have any special plans for Advent planned in the parish? 
Well, I think we're gonna we're gonna light four candles. Okay. It's gonna take us though almost four weeks to light all four though. You know, we gotta take it slow. You'll start with one candle and then we'll move to two candles, but before we finally get to four candles lit. Now, one of those is rose colored too, I believe. That is correct. Yes. Okay. And the neat thing about Advent this year is that we get a full four weeks of Advents. It's a full Advents. And one of the things the parish is going to do is we're going to do the uh, the reflections again with uh, Father Mark Toops um, from Ascension Press. Oh, okay. So the book and the and the videos with that. So um, we're looking forward to that. And that will kick off then first Sunday of Advent? I think it's kicking off on Christ the King um, that week. I think it's kicking off that Monday. That Monday. Before okay. Advent begins. Okay. Very good. So, and, and people can look in the bulletin for There's de- something in there this week. That. Okay. Yes. All right. Very good. Tony, talking about a rose candle, which week do we light the rose candle? That would be week three. Hey, that's a gold star. That's why you're the best radio host in the county. It would. It, it's also known <laughs> as Gaudete Sunday. Ooh, look at you. You might even get like a regional radio show now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's not get the cart out in front of the horse here. <laughs> All right. Any other news or events we need to get in there? I think we're uh, looking forward, at least the uh, non-retired priests are looking forward to the clergy overnighter this week um, in Iowa City, preaching the uh, Eucharistic revival. And for it's not so much study for me. It's It's getting together with the guys and you know, sharing mass and prayer and a meal and the camaraderie. So it'll be good. Very good. Is, is the, uh, we're a couple of weeks out from the parish mission now. Have you heard uh, a lot of good feedback from that or? Lots of good feedback. So it was very, very good. So we'll be doing another one in two or three months. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe not. All right. Father Marty, will you uh, get us started with an opening prayer here? Tonight? I sure will. We come together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the constant gladness of being devoted to you, for it is full and lasting happiness to serve with constancy the author of all that is good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Marty. You're very welcome. All right, tonight the posse will discuss Luke's gospel for the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time, and that's chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Uh, In this reading, Jesus warns that there are going to be tough times ahead because of his name, and that we must persevere to secure our lives. Father Dennis, you have our reading for tonight? Yes, sir. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with the costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when they will not be left, a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, When will this happen? And what a sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you not be deceived, for many will come 
in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, a kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, and the plagues from place to place, and awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons, and they will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Dennis. Okay, this is an interesting gospel. Jesus starts out talking about the temple being destroyed. Is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD or the destruction of a much more sacred temple? I would argue like he's foretelling. He's doing both. He's foretelling the physical destruction, kind of the same way Jeremiah did. You know, he's talking to the Israelites saying like, hey, like, Keep worshiping the false idols, like the temple's gonna fall, and guess what? Babylonians came in and sacked the temple. It's kind of the same kind of idea, like you know the Romans in 70 AD, we know from Josephus, one of the famous Jewish authors, you know, kind of explains the destruction of that temple. But you also are gonna have ultimately Jesus is being crucified on the cross. So there's quasi-destruction. Not total destruction. And I think it's more, too, that um, he's preparing us for, you know, when he speaks of the temple, it could be the temple of his body, you know, at the, and that as well, too. You know, that um, it's, it's, it's something that's in the Gospel of John quite a bit, too, you know, that it's the temple of his body. In three days, I will rise again. There was also a, a very strong thought that when Jesus says he was going to come again, people, it was going to come like quick. And then it, it's one of those things where um, you find that, you know, maybe it's not going to be as quick as we thought. Mm. And so um, what Luke also is preparing us for is not just, you know, the end of time, but also the follow Jesus day by day. And it, it's going to be a longer call than they were thinking it's going to be. Correct. And, and I thought it was interesting that right away the people wanted to know when this destruction was going to happen. And how would they know? 
And Jesus gives them some signs. He says, you know, wars, earthquakes, plagues. Uh, it sounds a lot like Moses in Egypt from the Old Testament, doesn't it? Are, are we seeing some of these things today? Is, is doomsday right on our doorstep? It, it's kind of funny how it kind of goes in cycles that the, the end of the world, it comes and goes, and then another 10, 15, 20 years, you have another group show up that says, you know, we're seeing all these warning signs and everything. Well, I think the people playing the Powerball, Tony, I think are hoping that the end of the world doesn't come too soon <laughs> in case they strike a dig on the Powerball. <laughs> They're going to have to spend a lot of money real quick. But I think, like, for me, like, just kind of my thoughts are, is like, you know, the Gospels we hear, you know, we don't know the hour nor the time mm-hmm. when the Son of Man will come again, you know. Just like if the, if the homeowner would have known when the robber was going to come, and, you know, break into the house, he would have been ready. You know, we don't, ultimately, we don't know when... Christ is going to come. Like he hasn't given us that magical day and time, even though there's some, you know, in today's society that'll say the end of the world is coming. Give me your money. <laughs> come on now. They don't have any idea. And then they go, Oh, I just miscalculated. I miscalculated. <laughs> like, come on. Well, and he even talks in the, in the reading about false prophets and, and people coming in my name and saying, and he says, beware. Yeah, of course, some people um, <clears throat> do look at what is happening around, like these uh, um, events, which Jesus said, like earthquakes, famines, plagues, like COVID, and uh, wars, like the war in Ukraine and Russia. Some people bring bring in these ideas of the end of the world, but uh, as Father James has said. No one knows the day, nor the hour. So what do we do? We need to pray and keep ready. No one knows the day, nor the hour. So You never know when the good Lord's going to call your number. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the strong point of this gospel, is that you know we don't wait until we think the end is coming. We're ready every day. We're prepared. Well, that's why I thought it was interesting that the first question they ask is, when's this going to happen? Tell us when. And, and Jesus reminds us again that it, it will not be easy to be his followers. <coughs> it's quoted as saying, it will lead to your giving testimony. But he says, do not prepare a defense. That's one that stood out to me just now when Father Dennis read it was, do not prepare a defense at the time. I will give you the words that will silence your critics. He's talking to the disciples, though, not us, right? Well, he's talking to us. Oh, he's talking to us. Oh, yeah. I was afraid of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, you know, you think about it, and and hopefully you know, we're not going to be put to the point where we have to decide between death and our faith. We're blessed that way where we live in the United States in Burlington, Iowa. But there are, there are other ways, though, that we can be persecuted for our faith. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how many times do people question what we do as Catholics, how we do it, why we do it, um, things like that. And, and I think the thing is, is that when those times come, it's not that we don't, you know, magically think that, hey, you know, the answers are just going to appear to us. We have to be ready. We have to, to study. We have to be prepared. But when that time comes to, trust that God will give us the words to say. 
I've said things, um, and I'm going to go to maybe, you know, people who are dying, things like that, you know, where I don't know where the words came from. I do know where they came from. They right. came from God. Right. And that's the important part. And and that's something about this show that I've been surprised by is, is how much the Holy Spirit is involved in this whole thing. I want also to to add some few thoughts about what Father Madi has said. When you do um you do fulfill your mission as you are supposed to do it, I'm sure the devil is not happy. And the devil can pass through the people and that is why sometimes we, we, we talk of persecution. I remember one day I preached about loving one another. And uh, it was in another state. I was on a mission. And that was the slogan of the parish. Love one another. The greatest commandment. And after mass, one person came out and they said, Father, what did you say? Loving one another? And I said, yes. And she said, no. I cannot love someone whom I don't know. Why do I need to love him or her? What has he done for me? Oh my goodness. I said, no, this is the message of today. But of course, that was something. So in one way or another, even we prophets or messengers of Christ, we are persecuted. And it doesn't, doesn't seem to be getting any easier either. No. Just trying to, to clarify a little bit. When you preach in many places, I'm not sure here, but in other places, when you preach something, uh, good news, sincerely, people will start to classify you to a certain group. A certain group. Maybe this one is inclined to a certain party. I don't like to mention anybody. Or this one is inclined to another party. But you are saying the message of Christ as you should do it. And you don't preach about other things uh, in the world. So such a situation can also put you in a situation where you don't feel comfortable to evangelize as you are supposed to. Interesting. The reading says that we will be handed over by friends and relatives. And again, we're, we're kind of back to that, I come to divide the world, not to unite it. It says we will be put to death and hated because of his name, but we won't be destroyed. So is, is he referring to our life after death with God in heaven? Is that what he's alluding to here? Certainly that, you know, certainly makes reference to the fact that the gospel, the message of salvation is not going to be destroyed. That doesn't mean that we ourselves individually as physical persons are not going to see the end of our life. But the message is not going to be destroyed. And we ourselves are not going to be destroyed, you know, because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe the eternal promise of the message of the gospel. But we also believe that there's going to be conflict. A lot of people think it's easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a Christian, to be a real Christian today. You're going to meet opposition. And sometimes the big surprise is that we meet opposition where we don't expect it. We meet it from our friends, from our relatives, from our family members. And, oh, and okay. sometimes it might be very honest opposition because of a misunderstanding of one thing or another. And sometimes it's devious opposition coming from the evil one, as Father has mentioned here. But we have to meet it 
you know, on the terms of our Lord, not with hatred. You don't destroy hatred with more hatred. You destroy hatred with love and with acceptance of other people as people, even though we may not agree with them. It's kind of like that idea of like, you know, as Catholics, like in order to get to the resurrection, you have to go through the cross. That's right. But how often, you know, there's Catholics, Christians, we want to talk, take the cross out of it. Let's, let's just kind of skip that Good Friday piece. Let's just get right to the resurrection. Let's get to the resurrection, Jesus. Like, let's get to the happy times. But ultimately, each and every one of us are going to go through the cross. Whether we're kicking and screaming, <laughs> you know, we're all going to go through that, you know. Are we willing to journey with others to the cross or will we be like one of the apostles, scatter in fear? Or will we have the strength like the Blessed Virgin Mary or the Beloved Disciple to journey along with others as they approach the cross? So really, when it comes right down to it, we have to be ready to prepare our defense and to let the Holy Spirit speak for us and to persevere in order to save our lives. we got to put our pride aside and allow the Holy Spirit to give it the space to be able to speak. Because I think so often, like, I don't know, like, I speak for myself, like, I really want to know what, you know, I want to know details. I want to know, like, where we're going I'm the kind of guy that if I go on a trip, like, I want to know, like, all right, we're leaving at this time. We're going to make it to this place. Oftentimes, you know, the Holy Spirit in charge, guess what? Stuff gets thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. And how do you respond to that? Are you open to it? Or do you look at the Holy Spirit and say, no, 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 get in the backseat, get in the backseat. Yeah. I got my own plan figured out. Yeah, we are also lucky because these are the things Jesus said before his death. And we know what happened after his death, his uh, resurrection, his ascension, and after Pentecost. These are the things which happened to the apostles immediately after the resurrection. So all the sufferings, all the testimony they gave, you see immediately that the Holy Spirit was with them from day one after Pentecost. It's a matter of setting aside your plan and opening yourself to the Holy Spirit so that God can work his plan. It's one of the old jokes, you know, um, or adages. If you want to see God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Very true. But I think too, you know, we get so caught up with, with the other stuff that we need to, we need to remember the last couple lines, you know, not a hair on your head will be destroyed. Um, for some of us, that's more than others. Um, but by your perseverance... Why don't you look at Father Phil? <laughs> Can you say this? No comment. Okay. <laughs> It'll by, happen to you all. Yeah. By your perseverance, you will secure your life. And and I think that's the important part, too. It's, it's that persevere. Mm-hmm. That we persevere in faith, even when things may not be going our way, or it seems God is very far away. Mm-hmm that we continue to persevere knowing that God is going to guide us, especially through the difficult times. And I don't know if I've shared this on, on the radio here before, but um, it, it's one of my favorite prayers now. Okay. You know, when I was sitting with my dad in hospice mm-hmm. um, and I was just kind of scrolling through Catholic Twitter and I was asking God for a sign, you know, are we doing the right thing? You know, is everything going to be Okay. And on Catholic Twitter, it came up just a simple prayer. God, I may not always understand you, 
but I trust in you. We may not always understand what God has in store or why bad things happen, but I'm going to place my trust in God and persevere in him. And that's often hard to do. It is. Very hard. Even for us who are priests. That's why that personal relationship with Christ, and some people might think this is a very Catholic approach, but it is. It's solidly Catholic. That personal relationship with Christ is essential because in those days, those times when we are tempted to despair, tempted to give up hope, Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's there. Christ is present with us. I'm with you all throughout the days that are coming, even until the end of the world. And he's going to give us the strength and the guidance. We call it grace, uh, the assistance of the Holy Spirit to to be aware that he is with us in, in those difficult times, as well as the good times. That was one of my dad's favorite words, perseverance. All right. Well, that's a good place to wrap up our discussion on Sunday's gospel, I think. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Father Dennis, Father Marty, Father Mike, and Father James, and getting their perspective on the gospel. Thanks for tuning in. We're happy you're here. If you like what you hear, tell somebody about the show. Now it's time to get into the second half of our show, and tonight we'll be talking about adding some spice to your life in the form of prayer. Adding prayer to your spiritual life is kind of like adding spices to your recipes. You don't want your food to be bland and boring, do you? Is your faith bland or boring? Why not add some spice to your faith in the form of daily prayer? Let's start off, Father Marty, since you're our catechism guy, let's start off with the definition of prayer from the catechism. All righty. So here it is. And it's interesting that part four is entitled Christian Prayer. So there's a whole bunch I could go to here. So... It starts with, and I, and I love this, um, this is from St. Teresa of Lisieux. For me, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look turned toward heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy. And then the catechism goes on to say, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. But when we pray, Do we speak from the height of our pride and will or out of the depths of a humble and contrite heart? He who humbles himself will be exalted. So humility is the foundation of prayer. Only when we humbly acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought, are we ready to receive freely the gift of prayer. And then I love this line from St. Augustine. Man is a beggar before God. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And that includes the classic definition of prayer, which is prayer is the raising of the heart and the mind to God. And what Father Marty emphasized there from the saints is that the heart has got to be right. You know, the heart, you know, the raising of the mind and heart to God, you could be all upset about things or you could want something for yourself or whatever it might be. But if your heart is right, you want what God wants and your heart is open to whatever the will of God is for you. But it doesn't have essentially anything to do with a lot of words or emotions, feelings, all those kinds of things. It's it's opening. I love that definition you said Saint Teresa used about you know just letting letting her heart speak to the Lord. I think that's so neat. That's the way it is. Should be. Can you come caddy for me sometime? Sure. On the golf course because you just teed this up for me. Okay. More <laughs> of the catechism. Okay? okay. Where does prayer come from? 
Whether prayer is expressed in words or gestures, it is the whole person who prays. But in naming the source of prayer, Scripture speaks sometimes of the soul or the spirit, but most often of the heart. Do you know how many times? No. More than a thousand times. Wow. According to the Scripture, it is the heart that prays. If our heart is far from God, the words of prayer are in vain. And then it goes on. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. According to the uh, Semitic or Bible expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. The heart is our hidden center, beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. Only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of decision deeper than our psychic drives. It is the place of truth where we choose life or death. It is the place of encounter because as image of God, we live in relation. It is the place of covenants. Beautiful. Now, when I come caddying for you, I can't guarantee that I'll bring a thousand balls. But, uh, <laughs> even though you may need more than just one, but uh, I, will, I will come and be with you. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was a... How many balls do you think he goes through? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a heavy bag with a thousand balls. <laughs> True. I thought it was interesting, Father Marty, you said the gift of prayer. Mm-hmm. It, is prayer a gift from God? Yes, it is. Interesting. I've never thought about it that way before. Yeah. And it is a gift, I think, that we can give to God as well, too. Because in prayer, we take time to be with God. It's just like how we you know, enjoy being with, with friends. We've got to take the time to be with the, the one who is God. And so we, um, we just open our hearts. We pour out our hearts. And that's one of the things, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that I made in prayer for a while, but I think it's, it's also a, a mistake that um, a lot of people make is that sometimes we only bring the good things to God or what we need. God wants all of us, every bit of us. Mm-hmm. God wants my frustrations. God wants my anger. God wants my joy, my laugh, whatever. And, and I think that is the, I think that is very important to remember. God wants all of us. So it's okay to be mad at God. He's got big shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard us talk before in past shows that there's no wrong way to pray. I would agree with that. Okay. So it, it doesn't matter long prayers versus short prayers, structured prayer versus having a conversation, talking to God. Either way, what we're after here is we're trying to create a relationship with God, to get to know God, to become friends with God. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to do through prayer. Yes. I think in in regard to the distinction you were making between long and short prayers, we got to be careful that our prayer is really an expression of the true reality of our heart. And so when we talk to God, and I speak now from experience as one who likes to talk for a long time, um, you got to be careful that you're just not using words, that you're really using words that express the true dimensions of your heart. You don't want to bore God with a lot of words, you know. He knows the heart. He knows it even before we express it. But we've got to be careful that we express the true desires of our heart. And that involves adoration as well as supplication and involves sorrow for sin as well as praise. 
Um, I always liked the story about the man that was constantly seen every day going in at the same time to the church. And some people were concerned about whether he was cased in the joint, quote unquote. And the pastor was quite concerned. And so he came every day and watched him go in. And the man was in there for an hour. He didn't have a rosary. He didn't have a prayer book. He just went in and genuflected and then sat down. When the hour was up, he came out. And finally, after a week or two of this, the pastor went up to him and said, what, what do you do when you're in there? And he says, I pray. And the pastor said, how do you pray? And he said, I look at God and he looks at me. And that's the essence of the prime kind of prayer we're talking about. I always like to compare it with a love relationship. If you're, if you're in love with somebody, you know, especially a young man with a young woman or a mother or father with their newborn child, you know, what do they find themselves doing so much? They find themselves just looking on the one that they love. And they're so edified by that. I think that's the way it is with God, too. The great saints were not satisfied with vocal prayer after a while. They wanted to just contemplate God. Theologically, the church talks about the beatific vision, mm -hmm. where we spend our time in heaven just gazing upon God. When I was a kid, I thought, how boring. Dear Lord, I spend all eternity just looking at somebody. But the church was talking more, more basically about that, that relationship of deep contemplation, of deep love that is satisfied simply with looking at the beloved. Mm -hmm. And you have to be in love in order to do that. You can't, if you're not in love, you can't do that. I, I also want to say that uh, I, I look at the vertical aspect of prayer and the horizontal aspect of prayer. What do I mean? As you have said, when we pray, we surrender ourselves to God. So that surrender, that giving up our souls to God, we get graces from Him. We get a gift from Him. And those gifts are the ones we have to spread to others. So I agree that we need, it is just uh, this uh, ascent we, we, we make towards God, but also we need to spread that, uh, those gifts we get through prayer. Hmm. Interesting. Very good. I think it's interesting the, the, when you talk about structured prayer, we've got the rosary, we've got the Divine Mercy Chaplet. One of the things I like about the rosary is is it contains all of the main prayers of the church. You've got Our Father, Apostles' Creed, Hail Mary, Glory Be, Fatima Prayer, Hail Holy Queen. Did I leave any out? St. Michael. St. Michael's Prayer. I mean, if there's a if there's a core group of prayers in the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. that's probably it. But not everyone's going to want to pray that way either. Right. You know, it's all it goes to your personality and, and what's best for you. I'm not, I'm not knocking the rosary. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, a challenge that a lot of people have is, like, they might go, like, Father, you know, my prayer life's really good. I pray the rosary every single day. But then I can ask the follow-up question. I go, how can you just send, you know, sit in that adoration? You know, kind of, you know, reflecting, letting Jesus see you and you see Jesus. Like, so often I feel like, you know, when we prepare kids for First Communion, you know, the kids get all excited. You know, they know they are Father. They know the Hail Mary. That's all they know. And it's that opportunity of best way of I've been able to kind of explain it is like, all right, you pray Hail Mary. It's like you picking up the phone and dialing the number for God. 
Mm-hmm. You don't just sit there and go like, well, I guess that's the end of the conversation. No, now you need to talk to God. Be able to tell him what's on your heart. What are you struggling with? What are you thankful for? You being able to have that conversation, be able to build that relationship. Like so often we can get our prayers out, which are great. Without a doubt, we got to be able to dial the phone to talk to God. But at the same time, like we can't just only just stop right with our prayers. When we're praying, we concentrate on what Father James said. We concentrate kind of on the words if we're concentrating at all. A lot of times it's a source of great distraction because we're thinking about everything else we're going to do in the day when we we got the words memorized. And then we wonder why we don't get anything back from our prayer because we pray the rosary every day. Well, a lot of people don't say the rosary they're supposed to, you know. The rosary is a meditative prayer. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the life of Jesus Christ through the eyes of his mother, the joyful and the glorious and the sorrowful mysteries. And while we're saying those 53 Hail Marys, we're supposed to be thinking about the mystery that we're contemplating, you know. And that's what's, you know, that's where there's a real difficulty. And it's hard to do sometimes because there's a lot of distractions involved in that. Yeah, as we continue to talk about the prayer, it is good also to remember that uh, the Mass is mm-hmm. the highest prayer. Yeah. So in addition to the prayers we do, our priority should be given to the Mass. Mm-hmm. Because this is the highest way you can pray. Put some pressure on the priest. Got to get some good homilies. <laughs> or our holy deacons in the parish too. You don't, you don't want to go out there and give them a lackluster homily. So they're like, really? Thanks, Father. But it's like, you know, as Father Dennis said, you know, it's the highest form. You know, it's the source and summit of our faith, you know, the Eucharist. Like, we as priests and, you know, deacons need to step up and give our A game in the homilies. And it puts pressure on the priest in another way too, Father James. It puts pressure on the priest to say the Mass, offer the Mass, as if it means something personally to him, so that he pays attention to those words that he's saying. And uh, I, I am, I'm flattered with you guys here, you know, and happy because you guys just do that so well. I mean, you just, you, you, mm-hmm. when you offer Mass, the three of you, you, you know that you're listening to what you're saying, mm-hmm. and it means something to you personally. And that is inspiring to the people. And that brings their hearts and minds closer to God in offering that sacrifice. It's a wonderful thing. Father James mentioned adoration. And uh, let's talk about benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, which is better known as adoration. One of the things I like about adoration is, it's like you were talking about, Father Mike, is it's a chance to just spend time with Jesus. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to be praying the whole time. Uh, Sometimes it's better to just sit and be silent and listen Mm -hmm. and like you say he looks at me and I look at him and that's enough because like you know when you're first married with your wife you just want to be together yeah you know you don't have to say anything you just want to be together but one of the questions I had was um, does adoration always start with mass and end with mass no it doesn't have to so for an example this Sunday Um, You know, we're going to have our confirmation retreat, and I'm going to end it with um, adoration because a lot of what I'm going to talk about with the kids is is prayer, what we're talking about tonight. And I just, you know, if you're going to talk about prayer, let's experience prayer, you know, so we're going to do that. Um, Yes, we have Mass at 1030. We're going to do adoration about 1.30-ish, 
you know, so, but you do not have to have begin or end with mass for adoration. Okay. In all honesty, you don't even have to have the, the Blessed Sacrament exposed. You can go into a Catholic church anytime and kneel down in front of the tabernacle. Jesus is there and you can adore Jesus right there in the tabernacle. See, this used to drive my mom nuts. But every so often, um, I'll go over to a um, very empty, dark St. John's Church. And it could have been 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I just like to hear the quiet and sometimes the creaks and the bats and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's just to go over and, and spend time with God. Right. You know, I, I love what you said there. You know, he looks at me and I look at him. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. My mom used to get upset with me when I did the same thing at St. Patrick's. She'd say, oh, Michael, what about that roof over there? It might fall in on you. And I'd say, well, well you're all alone there. I said, Mom, I'm not alone. So then she changed the subject. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in addition to what the others are saying, just to clarify, maybe because of the listeners, we have uh, adoration, mm -hmm. which can take the form of holy hour, if it takes one hour. And there is also perpetual adoration, if it takes 24 hours and it is always there for the people to do adoration, it becomes perpetual adoration. If a church has a perpetual adoration chapel, does someone have to be there all the time? Yes. yes. So there has to be someone there 24 hours a day, seven days a week in order to have perpetual adoration. Yes. I wonder if that'd be possible at Divine Mercy. It would be hard, I think, because we have trouble getting people for 24, mm -hmm. you know, the first Friday of the month. So I'm not saying it's impossible. We'll have to start a campaign on the radio and see if there we go. go. <laughs> When the Blessed Sacrament is exposed for adoration, it is exposed in a monstrance. Where does that word come from? It sounds kind of terrifying to me, a monstrance. Everybody is looking at me, and it's not because the word monstrance sounds like monster. That isn't the reason they're looking at me. We were not thinking of you as a monster. We just knew that you were a Latin expert. I'm not a Latin expert, but I did have a few years of it. And monstrance is an English word that comes from the Latin word monstrari, which means to show. And if you look at the monstrance, the, the most visible aspect of it is the fact that there's a host there, a large host that you can see. It's shown to the people, and so that's where the, the monstrance comes from. And They come in all different sizes and shapes and figures and all that kind of stuff, but the central figure of all of them is that large host in the center. But you got to make sure that you get the door closed tight, so that way <laughs> Jesus doesn't come falling out. <laughs> We've had some bad experiences lately, so that's the reason. So James when, when is adoration available at Divine Mercy Parish? So it's on Tuesday evenings from 4.15 to 5.15. Okay. And then, um, and then every um, first Friday for 24 hours. So from about 8.30 a.m. to about a quarter to eight the next day. And if anybody's interested in that... Um, you don't have to have an appointment or anything during the 24 hours of adoration. You can just stop by the church and spend 10 minutes or 10 hours, whatever you have time for. Um, and there are people there uh, who fill time slots so that somebody is with the Blessed Sacrament at all times. But 
And I will say um, our parishioners are very good at that because I've gotten maybe three, four, five phone calls since I've been here. Um, hey, Father, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be on 8 to 9, and it's now 9, 10, and the person behind me hasn't shown up. Mm-hmm. So then you go out and take the spot. <laughs> so, but, but they're very concerned about that. Yeah. It's a wonderful experience. And once you enable yourself to do it, you'll, you'll find out what a great experience it is. It'll become part of your regular prayer life. And very satisfactory. There's one thing I want to add before we quit here. And I mentioned it earlier in the show. I discovered something the other day in my, in my own reading about how important it is to listen, uh, you know, when, when, uh, and how important silence is to listening. If you take the word silence, S-I-L-E-N-C-E, and you rearrange the letters from the word silence, you come up with the word listen. L-I-S-T-E-N. It's ah. the same amount of letters. It's the same letters themselves rearranged, and yet they both spend something about prayer. And true listening leads comes from silence, and true silence, if it's directed toward God, will enable you to listen to what God has to say. I was astounded. I, I, I got a piece of paper, and I marked that all out and started crossing letters and everything, and it, and it works. It's true. I know it was true for me that um, in order to listen, you have to have silence. You right. have to stop talking at God. Right. That silence can be kind of scary. That's right. It's hard. And I think as a society, we've lost that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a terrifying fear of silence mm-hmm. in society in general. Um, everybody's got to have the TV on for background noise or the radio on or whatever. And I tried to do that with my high school kids when I was at Notre Dame. I said, now we're going to have, we're going to have three minutes of absolute silence so that we can enable ourselves to be in touch with the beyond. I put it that way, you know, (laughs) rather than with God, with the beyond. And the kids were very agitated during that three minutes. They really, they couldn't stand. One person raised their hand and said, Father, this is painful. You know, we can't, we, we, can't, we have to be silent, you know. You, so, you didn't teach them that three minutes you could take a quick cat nap, was no, it? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I said, listen to the silence, you know. And they thought I was crazy, of course. But that isn't the first time I've been accused of that. So. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's talk about icons in the church for a little bit. Um, worshiping statues is a common criticism of the Catholic Church, uh, the Protestant faith and, and uh, atheists and everybody say that we worship statues and we worship Mary. And um, Why would you not? I mean, if, if the church is where Jesus lives, why would you not want a beautiful, ornate building for Jesus, why why wouldn't you want to roll out your best for him? I guess my first question for him would be: Is do you have photos of your loved ones at home? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, you probably do. Well, we also have photos and statues, of loved ones that have gone before us, marked in the sign of faith that we believe that are in heaven. Just like when you you know ask you know, me for, hey, can you pray for so and so? It's an opportunity for us to also reach out to our brothers and sisters in heaven, the communion of saints, to go join us in our prayers for someone. Isn't it important for us as Catholics? I mean, shouldn't we adorn our churches and schools and our homes 
with statues and with uh, divine mercy images and things that remind us what we believe and who we are. You betcha. It's one of those things of, you know, it's those visual cues that we can see. They can kind of, you know, remind us to kind of reorient our lives back towards Christ. You know, you get in that daily grind. Maybe it's, you know, on your drive to work in the morning, you get frustrated because somebody cut you off or the light turned red and you thought you were going to make it through. It's those visual cues that, you know, you're able to kind of see and go, all right, I need to settle down. I need to, you know, say a prayer, kind of reconnect with God, reorient my life. And one of the things, I'm sorry, Father Dennis, you know, one of the things that I think icons do is they help us to go deeper. Oh, yeah. And, and one of the icons that has been really powerful for me has been Jesus in the garden. You know, not your will, you know, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And so I, I got that icon um, just to be a reminder that, hey, you know, I'm going to follow God's will no matter how hard this is. But the thing I didn't notice was up up in the corner is the chalice. You know, can you drink the chalice that I'm going to drink? Oh. And so that's what I think icons can do. They lead us deeper into that relationship with God. Uh, and uh, something we need also to remember is that the church or our faith is transmitted from one generation to the other. So icons help us to display something which happened even 1,000 years ago and display it as if it happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. So they help us to keep tradition. They help us to keep the faith. Oh. They help to bring afresh some of the articles of our faith. Mm -hmm. That's definitely one of the things like our Eastern brothers and sisters in the church have done so well as icons. Like if you go into a Byzantine church, like you're going to see many icons in that church, you know, in the Roman, right? The Latin, right? You know, you don't necessarily see as many icons. Um, you see more statues. In the oh, without a doubt. Statues and stained glass yeah. windows. Technically an icon is not a statue. It's a picture. And mm -hmm. it's usually a, a picture that expresses a, uh, a little bit of a theological meaning behind it and so forth. It isn't It isn't a statue like you'd see Michelangelo creating or anything like that that looks real. It, it, there's kind of a atmosphere of unreality about it. But you see it all over the Eastern Church. In, in the Western Church, in the Roman Church, you see statues and, and, and pictures uh, from the Baroque period, all of that, a little bit, little bit more realistic, you know, sometimes very realistic. I have a picture of myself, not that I'm an icon, but I have a picture of, my, <laughs> a picture of myself offering Mass in St. Peter's in Rome, and there's this, this magnificent picture of the crucifixion of one of the early martyrs, and it's very, very graphic, and it makes me look like I'm about three inches tall, but uh, that's that, that would be something you'd see in the Western Church than you, more than you'd see in the Eastern Church. Yeah. Hmm. But they're all representations helping us, sacramentals, helping us get closer to the saints and to our spiritual life. The reason that many Protestants have a problem with it philosophically is because the pagans use them as well to represent their pagan gods. In the Roman household in pre-Christian times, you know, everybody, every, you had these uh, pagani is what they were called, and they were little household gods, and they had them in their little shrines in every room in the house. 
and they were they put incense in front of them and burnt the incense, and that's how they worshipped their gods. So after the Reformation, Protestant Christians uh, kind of uh, uh, got onto that and said, well, you know, we can't have statues. Uh, you should not have any images made in, in God in God's image, you know, and that that isn't what the Scripture teaches us, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about how our listeners can add prayer to their daily lives. Uh, let's start with Litany of the Hours or Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, is is Liturgy of the Hours is that prayer or is it a devotion or is it a combination or how would a listener get their hands on Liturgy of the Hours and start praying the Liturgy? Call Father Bill Nemo. <laughs> um, I think the easiest thing is if you have access to um, computer, iPad, something like that, is to, do you use iBrievery? Yeah. Yeah, it's download iBrievery. Because the neat thing about iBrievery is um, it, it, you just hit um, pray, and it takes you to morning prayer, liturgy of the hours, morning prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, Whatever you want, and it's right there. You don't have to mess with the book or anything like that. Is iBrievery, is that a free app? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just started messing around with Palo, but it's it's a it's a $5 a month thing. So Yeah, iBrievery, when I was in the seminary, it was the official app of Mudline Seminary for Liturgy of the Hour. So they gave us the opportunity to use that. Um, it's something that I use. The book is good. But for me, I'm more of a technologically guy. It's nice and easy, especially for somebody starting out. Yeah. They don't have to worry about trying to flip to the right ribbons. Like, well, you know, the same this day, like, what do I pull from the common versus what do I pull from the regular day? Yeah, my my catechism and my Bible are actually on my phone. <laughs> so, And there's another one, too, you can use. It's called uh, Divine Office. It's the app. And the neat thing about that is if you pair it into your Bluetooth, that you can listen to it in the car. Now, the problem with that is, to be honest, if you set it at the one speed, it is like, God, come to my assistance. And you're like, yeah, it's like, come on now, here we go. So if you do it like at 1.3 or, or that, it's it's good. And the next thing you know, you're mashing on the accelerator and there's lights in your rear view mirror. Right. True. Okay. I, I have You're even in Nebraska, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I have even another one I use, which is called Laudate. 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 Laudate yeah. Which means praise. It is nice. Praise. Very good. Yeah. Well, I like this. You know what I like about the Laudate? Mm-hmm. Laudate, whatever. App is, I, I love it. It says, Invitatory invit- invit- Song. Dawn or 3 a.m. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Office of readings, any time of the day. Morning prayer, 6 a.m. <laughs> Mid-morning prayer, 9 a.m. <laughs> so it gives you, you're supposed to be praying every three hours. <laughs> so is, is liturgy of the hours and the breviary, is that the same? Yes. It, it is the same. Yeah. Okay. Breviary sounds just like brief, and it comes the brief, the word brief comes from the same word as breviaris. And it means a shortened form of what the monks say together in choir when, you know, oh. in these, uh, in these monasteries. Their, their form of the, the hours is much longer than ours. So the breviary is a shortened form of that for priests and for lay people and just in general. Very good. Well, I had some more stuff we were going to cover, but, uh, 
we are out of time. Oh. And, and speaking of blessings, Father Mike, uh, how about a uh, sending us off with one of your special recipe blessings? <laughs> Got a little spice in your life. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, that, that goes along with what we're talking about. That's good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you've helped us to pray a little bit better tonight in investigating what prayer is all about. Give us the grace to unite our hearts with yours and to let our hearts raise to you to do what you want us to do in our life. We ask all of this through the special intercession of our Blessed Mother, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. Well, Pastor's Perspective for next week, the Solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, which is also the last Sunday of the church year. Uh, we will finish in Luke's Gospel with chapter 23, verses 35 through 43. Advent starts the week after that as we start to prepare for the coming of our Savior in Bethlehem. And as Father Marty said earlier, because Christmas falls on Sunday this year, we get the full Advent treatment this year. We get a full four weeks. None of this half-week thing going on. That's right. That's right. Or one day. Or one day, yeah. So until next week, share the good news of God's saving love with everyone you meet. If you're not actively practicing your Catholic faith, we invite you to join us for Mass. The beginning of a new church year and the Advent season is the perfect time to welcome back Christ into your life. I'd like to thank the priests tonight. Father Dennis, thank you. Thank you. Father Marty, thank, thank you. you. Father Mike, thank you. you. And Father James, thank Th you. Thanks for having us, Tony. Well, I appreciate being here. Thank you all for sharing your insights into making prayer a more plentiful and meaningful part of our audience's life tonight. Going forward, you don't need to overhaul your prayer life. Simply add a little spice here and there, and the next thing you know, your faith will be alive and thriving. I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for making the effort to tune us in. Please join us again next week when the posse gathers to share God's salvation story with us. In the meantime, don't touch that dial. Keep it right here on KCDM for more content you can trust. Thanks for tuning in, and good night. KCDM would like to let everyone know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor's Perspective, the shows are posted on our website, kcdmradio.org. And you can hear Pastor's Perspective anytime you have time to listen to them. Drop into the website and give us a listen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 